Today's perspective on bullying is from Claudine, who has spent over 15 years working with at-risk youth, the homeless population, and families who are struggling. One of her clients, in particular, is a young man who was so traumatized by his bullying that he attempted suicide. This was after he struggled for years with behavioral issues, dropping out of school, and run-ins with the law. While behaviors like these are not entirely caused by a history with bullying, it's certainly a major contributing factor for many people. Think of it like a domino effect. A trauma is experienced, and this affects multiple dimensions and factors in a young person's life, leading them down paths they may otherwise not have taken. Before we start, just a heads up that we will be discussing some topics people may find disturbing, such as suicide, sexual abuse, drug abuse, and criminal activity. As always, I encourage you to check out the show notes, where you'll find links uh, to a detailed episode description and information about other initiatives I'm working on related to bullying. Please feel free to reach out to me through my website if you have a story you'd like to share or uh, resources you recommend, insight, and advice. So let's get started with the interview. I'm pleased to be speaking with Claudine today, who has been working in social services over the past 15 years, focusing on at-risk youth and their families. Through her experiences, she's encountered young people who are suffering greatly due to the effects of bullying, some of them even considering self-harm and suicide. Claudine has a lot to share in terms of what can be done to help. Claudine, thank you for speaking with us today. Hi, Alex. Um, thank you, actually, for um, having me today. I, I guess I can tell you a little bit about myself and my background. So I actually studied English at York University um, right of high school. Uh, at the time, I had a desire to become a teacher. Uh, however, over time, my interest changed and I became interested more so in social work. I was fortunate enough to obtain um, an opportunity working for a nonprofit organization where I was supporting new immigrants um, transitioning into Canadian life. Uh, I continued along this path, uh, focusing more specifically on the youth population over the past 15 years, um, where I've been able to uh, to actually work with the homeless population, um, at-risk youth pertaining to uh, areas of mental health. Uh, education and employment, and stabilizing the family unit, um, which I'm quite passionate about, actually, um, because over time of working with um, youth and people in general, um, you realize that you can't uh, band-aid a problem, um, or you can only band-aid a problem if you're not able to actually address the root cause of these problems. Right, and there's so many different situations people are in. They have um, struggles in their lives in, in various different areas. It could be family life, it could be social life, financial, it could be a lot of things. And you know, what kinds of situations are your youth clients struggling with in their lives? So my clients face a broad range of challenges and situations. Uh, much of these challenges stem from issues relating to their mental health, depression, anxiety, uh, social pressures, and um, 
and just overall family breakdown and them just trying to find their place in life and find their place in society. And mental health is a big issue, and there's lots of different um, types of mental health um, problems that people struggle with. So, you know, what kinds of mental health issues and what are some of the situations specifically that um, you've had people struggling with? So maybe I can actually um, share about um, a situation that I actually encountered while at work. Um, And this uh, particular uh, situation dealt with bullying. Um, I was working with a young man at the time, um, several years ago. At the time, he was around 18 years old, um, and I had worked with him for roughly about a year, supporting him in um, with his with his education and finding work. Uh, he was actually an immigrant to Canada and had only been in the country for um, a couple of years. Um, and so I was able to actually establish a relationship, but always knew that there was another side to him that I was not able to uncover. I know he did struggle with depression and he oftentimes self-isolated. Um, and I knew he was self-medicating by experimenting with various drugs and alcohol. Um, so one particular day, actually, a day that I will never forget, I was wrapping up my shift at work. And uh, I had just gone to check in with him because I think it was just a follow up from the day's conversation. So I, uh, you know, proceeded to knock his door. He didn't, um, he didn't respond. And normally at work, we do a knock and entry if we need to actually go into our client's units. Uh, so where I work, the setting is that um, our clients live where we work. So there is a residential piece to it where uh, we provide supports. So when I did enter his unit, now to my surprise, he was unresponsive um, and I needed to call the ambulance right away. So it was it was a very, very scary time just realizing that he had actually um, tried to take his life. He actually tried to commit suicide on that uh, particular night. Now, um, he did spend some time in the hospital and uh, once he was released from the hospital, I was able to open up with him, but um, kind of creating a new conversation to find out why he would have actually attempted to kill to kill himself. Um, so he actually did share with me that prior to moving to Canada, uh, he actually was a victim of bullying for many years, and he had never shared that story with anybody before. He had shared with me that, um, you know, he was bullied by two peers who were actually older than him, male peers. Um, they, they threatened him and they forced him to do things that he never wanted to do. Um, stealing, um, you know, giving them money and so forth. Now that actually went on for some time. And I guess the, the bullying actually changed. It went from a psychological bullying, uh, physical bullying, and then it actually advanced to sexual abuse. Now, as a result of that, and through, um, you know, I could tell he expressed a lot of guilt and a lot of shame as he shared his story with me. He was actually raped by these two older boys. Um, now that led him into, um, you know, that cycle of depression and anxiety and just, um, not knowing who he was anymore. And he was actually struggling with this very, very traumatic experience on his own for many years. Um, this experience happened in, you know, the very young, young part of his life. 
Um, he just really struggled with it. He didn't know what to do. And I guess as a result, um, his life just became very transient, which actually brought him to the um, institution that I was actually working to at the time. And that's how we actually met. Wow, there's a lot there. I mean, I, it's very um, fortunate that he was able to recover. And, and I'm assuming he's doing well now, or better than he was. But, you know, maybe we can sort of talk about some of those things. You mentioned bullying, and, and bullying was sort of the catalyst for this situation. And the bullying started um, with you know, some verbal um, abuse, mm-hmm. some physical abuse, and then escalated and kept escalating. Um, and, and that's, I think, a scary thing about bullying is it can start out fairly innocuously. People may not even take it very seriously because they think, well, this is just a normal thing that happens to people. But sometimes um, the, these things can escalate over time and it becomes quite insidious uh, eventually. Absolutely. So tell me a bit about you know, what the path to recovery looked like from being in a position where he wanted to take his life um, and had just been overwhelmed with the emotions and the feelings that he had suffered um, through this trauma. And, and how did, what was the path to recovery? How, how, what was the first step to um, recovery? So, um, this was a very, very serious situation. And, um, you know, up to this day, he is still recovering. And I do believe that this is something that he will be um, trying to manage for the rest of his life. Um, but at the time after he was released from the hospital and, and with the help from the hospital staff, um, we were able to actually um, connect him with professional support. Um, he was able to get connected with a therapist. Um, and from the therapist, he was um, connected with a psychiatrist who was able to prescribe antidepressant medication for this young man. Um, it was clear that he needed he needed more than just talk therapy. He really needed something to stabilize himself. Um, so after this time, or actually actually during this time of meeting with the, ther- the therapist weekly and taking the antidepressant medication, um, I connected him with a health and fitness coach who was able to create a program allowing him um, to have an outlet to release and manage some of the emotions and some of the stressors in his life. Um, he really needed a healthy way to cope apart from resorting to drugs and and, uh, alcohol. Um, This over time actually helped in him slowly but surely improving on his self-esteem. And it actually gave him something to do. I think it actually gave him a sense of purpose. Um, So every day he would get up, and he knew he was going to meet with his um, coach. They were going to go through a series of exercises. And it was just like a form of, um, of release. And it provided him with coping skills. With these kinds of trauma, drugs and alcohol, for example, can be used as a way of, I would say, almost avoiding um, facing the emotional trauma that you have every day. So in, in a way, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an avoidance mechanism. And I suppose the the first step was really to confront some of this first by, 
you know, having the professional intervention immediately, Mm -hmm. followed by medication to stabilize. And the medication is something that, you know, is required, I think, for serious situations where people are trying to take their lives. Yes. Um, And then, of course, the next step is to try and have a person become surrounded by a help network that can start to get them to be able to face some of this through positive activity through mm-hmm. you know an outlet as you said to and and physical activity is a great thing because it really ties into your feelings you have to exert yourself you have to have motivation and it is a bit of a a, a different kind of struggle so it can help you i i suppose um fight or confront some of these things head on oh absolutely absolutely um it's it's a lot of work it's hard work um but these were some of the resources that were put into place immediately um to get him going on that journey to recovery you know and uh, through therapy um you know they were able to talk through dealing with what had, what had actually happened um years later in his home country you know i think as you said having a network of people come alongside him and provide different supports. Um, I think it was quite beneficial for him. And through that process, you know, going into, say, the physical activity, did he have trouble uh, maintaining a routine or a schedule? Or were there ups and downs through that process that had to be managed? Absolutely. You know, initially it was it was hard. And, and from the get-go, even before the incident had occurred, some of the challenges with this young man that um, he was unable to sustain employment, um, he was not able to um, maintain going to school and completing um, his high school requirements. Now, clearly, when I look back, I can recognize that definitely there were underlining reasons as to why, um, you know, he was not able to do certain things. But over time, as he opened up to me, I completely understood when he's when you're so you're struggling with depression and anxiety and fear and shame and guilt, all these emotions, um, with all these emotions, like how could he able ever be able to um, just maintain regular functioning, right? But um, when he was supported with the therapist, um, the health and fitness coach, and the medication, I think everything was able to help him in order to manage his manage himself better and um, allow him to discipline himself more and set goals for himself and work towards it, which is something that he wasn't able to do before. So what did that look like? What was the manifestation of all of these emotional struggles in terms of the reasons why he couldn't complete school or hold down a job? How did that come out of him? Sorry, what um, what are you referring to? In terms of his emotional struggles, mm-hmm. it would have manifest in his behavior in a way yes. that didn't allow him to finish school, in a way that didn't allow him to hold down a job. So mm-hmm. how did those emotions essentially manifest? If if someone was to look at him from the outside not knowing anything, what would they see? Oh, I mean, he was just, um, he got in trouble with the law a lot. Um, he was um, experimenting with drugs and alcohol. Um, and he was really isolating, Right. So he wasn't really letting, uh, he wasn't letting anybody in. Um, you know, 
he would do things, illegal things, and uh, that's just how he was getting by. But um, he never really opened up and allowed um, to get that support that he needed. Right. So if, if this whole incident wouldn't have happened, uh, no one would have really known what he was really struggling with. All everything that had happened was coming out and prevent um, presenting itself in, um, you know, illegal behavior and isolation and uh, and depression overall. So was that like stealing or? Stealing, um, trafficking, drug, drug trafficking, um breaking into cars, just um, complete illegal uh, behavior that um, fortunately he would, you know, get off from these. But once he would get off of something, he would move on to the next, right? Um, He never really did anything that actually got him uh, locked away, but just mischief in general. But really now you realize that that was really just a a cry for help and a cry for support, right? And he he didn't know what to do with himself. He didn't know how to deal with all the emotions that he was feeling. I think that's important for people to understand is when someone has been abused in the past and, you know, it could start with bullying and it can escalate to something very serious um, or even just chronic bullying for years can really cause a lot of mental anguish. Um, where you may not know how to best manage the emotions you're feeling and you do act out in these ways where to an outside observer would appear that, you know, you're just a bad, you're a bad seed, you know, you're Mm -hmm. a bad kid, you're not, you know, maybe you're not educated or whatever the reason, people don't look any deeper than that. So it's important to understand that these behaviors can sometimes and often result from something a little deeper that can be helped, that there is actually a way to help people um, so that not only are they not suffering anymore, but they're also not causing issues for others. Absolutely. And, um, and sometimes when I work with families or it's, that's why I like to work with families because I get a better picture of what's really going on, you know, um, you might meet the youth. Um, the youth is being presented as having issues at school or issues with the law. But you can't really work with the youth alone if you're not really connecting, um, you know, with the with the youth environment to find out what is really causing this. You know, we can't just um, say this is a bad student. There has to be reasons, underlining reasons, um, that if we don't really get to the bottom of it, then we will never really be able to put a, a, um, a good plan in place to help the youth be successful. So what are some of the types of issues that might be inherent within a family that need to be addressed? It could be, um, you know, it could be a lot of different things, actually. Family breakdown, um, it could be abuse. Um, oftentimes, if it's, if it's a single family, a single parent actually just trying to cope, it could be financial reasons. Um, these are just things that we would never really know until we actually get to connect with the family and have a conversation because sometimes a family needs help themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, parents always want the best for their children, but if they are having a hard time managing in life, um, it's hard for them actually to make a perfect life for their kids when they are struggling and need help themselves. So sometimes I find that, you know, when you kind of intervene with the family, you realize, okay, um, 
how you have to now figure out how do we support the family? What is it that they need? Uh, do they need to, you know, uh, apply for subsidized housing? Do they need support with food? Um, or maybe they just need help themselves uh, or coaching tips in how to deal with their children. Because when they're struggling, oftentimes um, they don't have time to deal with, you know, kid stuff when they have um, other serious pressing issues. But maybe when you get a chance to help them to help their children, um, you create a little bit more of a unity um, and better communication going on between parent and child. And you kind of just go from there. And kids, when they're young especially, they're quite innocent. They don't understand things. And if they see their parents struggling, they will pick up on it. They will feel the uh, anxieties that are inherent in the household, or they will emulate behavior that they hear or see. And they don't really understand what that's all about, but it could also cause them to act out as well. Absolutely. I think one of the important things for parents is to um, start from their kids are at a young age and, um, you know, present um, proper role modeling for the children, because children really are watching everything that the parents do. And um, you have to teach the children um, how to respect each other, how to communicate. Um, and sometimes we focus a lot on the um, the, the, the person who's being bullied, right? But sometimes you also have to think why you have to think about the bully themselves and reasons as to why this person is a bully. Um, is it behavior that they are mimicking from the home, um, ineffective communication or violence or abuse in the home, and then that's triggering them to carry out the same behavior um, outside of the home? Um, there's so many different aspects. So I think it's important that um, from a young age, parents really take the time to speak to their kids about um, different situations and challenges that they might face at school and how to problem solve, um, you know, with their peers, right? And it, it all starts with, I mean, as I said, they can um, talk a lot, but it's more important for them to role model and, you know, present the same behaviors to their children, um, as they would want their children to treat other people outside of the home. It also presents a, a problem in the schools and, and how the schools can deal with bullying because they kind of focus on prevention or punishment and always kind of focusing on the bullying victim, as you said, where the bully themselves may get into trouble or they're afraid to be in trouble. And just simple punishment to a child who's being a bully if that child doesn't even really understand why they're doing what they're doing, especially mm -hmm. the younger ones, the older ones, they should start to understand um, and, and make their own choices. But the younger ones, they may not understand. And to be punished for something you don't understand fully why you're even doing it is even more confusing for them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think... Uh... Another important thing that I wanted to, to speak about is that I am a big advocate for mentorship. Um, I believe that mentorship provides uh, an opportunity for youth or people in general to come alongside, build up and encourage 
um, an individual. Uh, it allows for, you know, proper role modeling, guidance, a motivation, and emotional support. Um, and, and unfortunately, I believe that um, this resource is so underused and underviewed in society, but it could be so useful and, and so beneficial to children, to adolescents. Um, and I think, you know, it takes more than parents to raise the children. It takes a community to raise the children. And sometimes parents really just don't have the resources or they don't always know what to do. And, and, and it's in situations like this where you um, connect a, a youth with a mentor and um, this person can just open up a world of opportunities um, for these youth so they can have an, an opportunity to, to perhaps problem solve with this mentor if they don't want to speak with their parents or their family it kind of provides you know like a safe a safe place a safe person that they can actually go to and um, discuss some challenges that they're going through and get proper guidance as to how to deal with specific challenges that they might be facing so what kinds of mentorship programs are out there um, that you're aware of and where can people go to learn more about that so I am actually in the process of establishing a mentorship program um, specifically to support organizations who run mentorship programs because uh, mentorship is so important, but I find that there are not enough mentors. So um, what I want to do is to create an opportunity um, to select you know, um, eligible mentors and provide them to these community organizations that actually do um, mentorship programs. So there are quite a few community organizations that run mentorship programs, actually. Local communities, uh, local community organizations, um, like the Boys, the Boys and Girl uh, the Boys and Girls Club, and um, Big Brothers and Big Sisters, just to name a few. Those are some of the main ones. But, um, you know, I think even some schools, actually, um, if a parent actually reaches out to the schools and seek out these mentorship information, the school is a good resource that would be, be able to provide the families with information. Um, but, you know, it's it's such um, a valuable um, service that I believe all families should try to tap into. And you don't have to wait until something is wrong in order to get a mentor. I think mentor mentorship um, should just be a normal part of life, you know, um, Parents cannot do everything on their own. The schools cannot do everything on their own. But just seeking out someone who would be able to connect with the youth and you start by doing, you know, casual, fun things. But by doing that, they're actually building a relationship with the youth. So when these challenging times come, come around, the youth can feel safe in opening up to this person and sharing what's really going on. I mean, I agree with you on those points. I think it's very important to have um, a support network like that. And there are a lot of people out there who would love to mentor kids. And, you know, a lot of people who may be older and struggled in their past, they want to uh -huh. give back and uh, help avoid some situations that maybe they had to struggle with. But I think parents are very protective, especially now. And parents, as you said, only want the best for their kids, but they also feel that they are the best suited to raise their kids, whether or not 
that's true and they're being honest with themselves, they often are quite protective. So how does a mentorship relationship start? Who initiates that? If the parents are so protective, they don't trust maybe that another person can help influence their child in a positive way. Oh, and I, and I could definitely understand. But I think um, when you actually encourage your children to, um, you know, develop interest, and it could be as simple as getting your children involved in uh, extracurricular activities, um, and whether that be martial arts, music, dance, whatever the case is, um, get them connected with other peers. And sometimes through doing this, you might come across um, leaders in these different organizations that will be able to come alongside um, your children. But um, I think safe places like the schools and churches, um, for example, are safe places where you can actually reach out to and um, get your kids connected. There are youth, there's also youth leadership programs out there. Um, if you're not sure for yourself, if your child is not connected in any type of extracurricular ac activities, there's youth leadership programs actually that parents could kind of tap into and get their children involved in such programs. Well, thanks for those uh, recommendations. That's very helpful. So mm -hmm. you also mentioned uh, before when we spoke that your daughter had experienced some bullying in her past as well. Do you, uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about what happened there? Yes. Yeah, so my daughter was unfortunately um, a victim of cyberbullying. Um, she was actually in grade seven. And the situation had started with a group of girls at the school uh, who would initially um, socially bully her by uh, excluding her from playing with them at recess time or by teasing her, calling her names and so forth. Um, now, this had been going on for some time. And I, I remember I had multiple conversations with the teacher. Um, I remember one conversation I had with the teacher where she kind of brushed me off and um, and, and made it out to be that young girls are just doing what young girls do. Um, however, I, I, I was quite persistent um, with having more done about the situation. Um, as all these girls, it was about four girls, they were all in the same classroom. Eventually, the teacher did implement some small changes, such as moving the the seating arrangements around and um, engaging my daughter to support her during recess breaks with duties such as um, hall monitoring. Um, so I guess that, you know, kind of cool things down a little bit, uh, because now my daughter was out of the ways of the um, the girls, the other girls, and and the problem kind of subsided temporarily um, because she wasn't, my daughter was no longer in the schoolyard and the teacher had moved the desk, you know, around in the classroom. So shortly after that, the bullying moved online. Um, you know, this was new to me. It was, it was cyberbullying and um, I had lost connection with what was happening with her because it wasn't as, um, it wasn't as visible. She wasn't coming to me about anything. So, you know, this was a new territory for me. So I came to know about this one day when my, my older daughter had screenshot, um, a conversation that she had noticed online and she sent it to me. Um, now I, I felt 
you know, oh my goodness, these are grade seven girls speaking like this. And I was, I remember I was very angry. I was hurt for my daughter. Um, because I knew that I didn't, I didn't know what I could do to help her, but I did know that something more had to be done. So I remember that day I printed off the, the copy, um, of the, the messages that my, my older daughter had forwarded to me. And I went to the school and I spoke to the principal directly. And I, I remember I showed the principal the photocopy that I had of all the messages. Um, and I was expecting more support and more urgency. Um, as I pointed out and highlighted certain words in the conversation that I had perceived to be threats. Um, I, I know I wanted the other parents to be informed about this right away, but, but I felt like, um, the principal wasn't really on my side. And, you know, there were policies that were being, you know, confidentiality policies that was being thrown at me. And I was thinking, no, like, this makes no sense to me. So I left the principal's office and I went to the local police station, which was right close by the school. And I went in there and I had a conversation with one of the officers and I, I showed the officer the printout that I had um, printed out and I explained the situation. Um, I really went there because I wanted guidance. I, I, I didn't like um, what the school was telling me or not telling me, or, you know, I just felt like I wasn't getting the su support that I needed. Uh, so I went there for guidance. And uh, what happened actually, as a result of me going there, was that the officer actually took it very seriously. And they had dispatched their local um, officer to go to the school on that same day, and actually called all the parties, all the girls in that party that was on that message down to the office and and spoke with them. Um I actually didn't know that's how it was actually going to get played out on that day. But you know, now looking back, I was really happy that that did happen because um, the girls took that, that talk that the police officer gave to them, the girls took that very seriously. And I do believe that from that, the parents of those other girls were actually, they had to have been contacted to let them know um, the sequence of events. Um, so that's, you know, pretty much what had happened. Um, and, you know, up to this day, I still continue to, you know, work with my daughter and, and educate her and strengthen her about, um, you know, what had occurred, um, the seriousness of it, and how she can just um, develop herself so she will you know, not be targeted anymore. I mean, unfortunately, we don't have that control. I mean, you, you don't know what life is necessarily going to throw your way. But, um, you know, it's just about building her up and letting her realize that she's bigger than this problem. And then in the future, if anything were to happen, she needs to really speak up about it. Yeah, I think that empowerment is very important for kids to understand that they can build themselves up. They do have the power to uh, be better and be bigger than some of these issues, but it is very difficult at the same time. I mm -hmm. think um, the police response sounded pretty responsible, uh, what they did. It doesn't sound like it was overly punitive and 
they you know had a, a nice conversation with everybody to let mm-hmm. them know about you know how this was serious and whatnot so it sounds like it was a good outcome sometimes when you have overly punitive sorts of actions it can just cause a lot of anger and animosity in the situation and that can work against the situation to make it worse as well so there's mm-hmm. two sides to that also Absolutely, absolutely. But I'm happy that uh, it did it play out the way it did. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, we just had to move move forward from there. And then it speaks to the skill of who was involved too, and, and how they handled it, because it is important to try and, you know, not be overly, um, I guess, driven by conflict. Because if everything appears to be conflict all the time, you just get more conflict. And that's, yes. you know, nobody wants that. But that's sort of as a reaction to a situation in terms of prevention and and social media and online. Do the schools teach the kids anything about social media responsibility uh, in school? I believe they do. I believe a lot of schools has actually um, implemented uh, anti-bullying initiatives within the school. I believe over the past years, the schools has actually been taking bullying, um, viewing bullying more seriously, actually, and has started educating the youth um, how to go about certain situations, how to protect themselves from certain situations, and just uh, most importantly, um, providing them with supports if they were to find themselves in specific situations. It's good to hear that schools seem to be, or at least some of them seem to be taking it seriously and doing things um, to to support uh, an anti-bullying mindset. Yes. Um, the way I look at social media is it's a tool. It can be a tool that you do good things with. It can be a tool that you misuse. And you can make an analogy and say a tool such as an axe or a knife which is very sharp and dangerous, you wouldn't give that to your five or six-year-old to play with uh, because they don't know how to use it safely. And I think the same can be applied for social media. It can also be something that can be abused and dangerous if children are not taught how to use it responsibly. So I think it's important in education when we have these new tools that are part of our lives and we can't ignore them and tell people not to use them because they'll just use them more, um, but to educate them properly about it. Yeah, and and also um, the parents as well. I think just establishing clear rules um, for interacting online and monitoring your child's behavior online, and actually starting from um, a very young age doing this, I think uh, is very very important. Um, knowing passwords and you know scheduling screen time, um, I think that is so crucial for supporting your children and supporting yourself, um, you know, with this, with online technology. Yeah, I agree. So this has been a a great conversation. And I hope that uh, the listeners are going to learn a lot um, from your perspective and your stories about your daughter and the other boy who, you know, had that extremely um, abusive past, which resulted in just so much um, that had to be addressed. So thank you for those. And is there anything else that you'd like to um, talk about or mention or recommend to people? Um, yeah, um, you know, I believe that, and I think I had touched on it um, briefly earlier, um, that, you know, we, we do focus a lot on the individuals that are 
bullied. Um, but I also think that, you know, it's important for us to um, look at the bully themselves and to have empathy and really understand why it is that bullies are bullies. Um, most bullies were at one time bullied themselves and they, they tend to target um, or find victims that they view to be weaker just in their way of uh, seeking power for themselves. And I think um, not only for the youth, but just in general, um, I think, you know, we need to strengthen and empower ourselves um, to build ourselves up to be stronger, uh, you know, to fight back. Um, you know, we want to equip ourselves and become disciplined in various areas like academically, socially, uh, mentally, emotionally, uh, spiritually, and physically. And I do believe that, um, you know, when you strengthen yourself and discipline yourself in all these areas, you build yourself up and then you're better able to um, equip yourself and to, you know, protect yourself against, you know, the various challenges and situations that, you know, we all will face through, throughout our lives. Yeah, I definitely want to reemphasize that empathy and understanding. Um, not necessarily to say that we should be sympathetic towards bullies and say, oh, it's okay because you were bullied. And it's not about sympathy. It's about empathy. It's about understanding Absolutely. what it is that's driving behavior so that something can be done about it. So that we can put things back into balance again, because balance is the key here. There's a, a complete power um, you know, divergence between two parties in a bullying situation and to bring that power and balance more into balance will help both parties. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I agree with that 100%. So thank you so much, Claudine, for your time today. And it was wonderful speaking with you. Thank you, Alex. It was my pleasure. As we heard in today's episode, bullying can be the first step in a domino or cascading effect, which can in turn turn people down a dark path in their lives. Obviously, being able to prevent this damage in the first place is ideal, and that's why focusing on related topics in elementary school is so important. Awareness is also key because bullying often progresses over time and can become very serious even if it starts out mildly. Teaching kids tools and helping them grow and develop in a multi-dimensional way is critical. They need to build resilience and mechanisms for coping with issues they encounter. Support for those who are doing the bullying is also important, as is support for those on the receiving end. In cases where bullying has led to lasting trauma, individuals can find themselves in situations where they're not able to function well in society. Commonly, strong feelings of guilt and shame prevent the person from seeking help on their own. They will self-medicate with alcohol and drugs to numb the pain they feel. At this stage, a community effort is often required to help, including professional support through doctors, therapists, social workers, fitness trainers, mentors, and families. It's important to realize and be aware that there is often some underlying trauma or reason why someone acts out, is violent, or performs criminal activities. An awareness of this doesn't mean the behavior should be tolerated. It simply means there may be a way to start correcting the behavior if the underlying problems are identified and dealt with. This is good for everyone. Young people have a long way to go in life, and the sooner they can be helped, the better. 
They need to learn to manage because ultimately at some point, they need to take the reins and help themselves to succeed. It's not just the youth who need help, but sometimes the whole family can be in crisis. Poor family environments can be caused by many factors, such as financial trouble, abuse, a single parent who can't cope, drugs, alcohol, and other things. They also need tools and strategies to learn to cope and manage. Claudine also shared a story about how her daughter's bullying went online and turned into cyberbullying. Claudine was proactive and took measures quickly, which resolved the issue for now. She continues to teach her daughter in ways she believes will make her stronger and better able to manage any future conflicts in her life. It's important to take action to stop the impact of bullying, because it will simmer and boil over long periods of time if left unchecked. This creates misery. Taking action to try and stop or help a bully is one dimension. The other dimension is learning how to cope with bullying and the feelings that it creates, so it's less destructive and less suppressing. It's not an easy thing to accomplish, but hopefully, with the advice and perspectives we explore on this podcast, people will have more information and insight on ways that these things can be accomplished. Until next time, take care.